we started with this concept of let's try to build this Google Maps of the internet that any company can see. That's Mohit Lat, the co-founder of Thousand Eyes, which is part of Cisco. Mohit and his co-founder, Ricardo Oliveira, came up with their idea for their company while getting their PhDs at UCLA. One of the things we loved about our research was we could, we could do things that nobody had dared to attempt. But getting to where they are now meant taking risks, hearing a lot of rejections, and even dumpster diving for used servers before finding their success. I'm super proud of what the teams have accomplished. I, I'm also just grateful to customers, in particular to our employees who have made Thousand Eyes happen, to Cisco for making us part of their family. Hello, and welcome to Cisco Tech Beat. I'm Lisa Meek. Mohit Lad has quite the founder story to tell, including the exciting integration of Thousand Eyes internet intelligence technology into Cisco's Catalyst switches. We've got a lot of ground to cover, so let's get to it. Hi, Mohit. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for bringing me on. I'm excited. I always like starting podcasts, getting to know the person, because I think that really kind of sets the stage for where people, you know, their, where their journey begins, how they get to where they're at. So you good to dive back into Little Mohit? <laughs> sure. Let's, let, that should be fun. <laughs> Little Mohit. So tell me where you grew up and um, what your life was like well before the days of Thousand Eyes and Cisco. So I grew up in, I was born in Bombay in India. I grew up in a town called Nasik, which is close to Bombay. Uh, and uh, my parents are both engineers. And my mom was one of, the, one of the two engineers in her entire university when she was graduating. And uh, their whole focus on us growing up as kids, I have a sister, was to like, do more all-around development. So as a kid growing up, I uh, was, uh, you know, I was good on academics, but I was also a lot into sports and extracurricular activities and so on. And, and as I reflect back in uh, as the journey of an entrepreneur, like one of the things uh, I found was that skill set really helped me because as an entrepreneur, you often have to be good enough uh, at a lot of things. You know, you're like the jack of all trades. You may not be the best at every specific thing, but you're, you're good enough to adapt and do different things. And I think that's that helps. So that's sort of where I grew up. I did my bachelor's in computer engineering. And then from there, I had a, a, a job offer for a software company, but I decided to do some more research at IIT. And I really wanted to do graduate school in the US. And, uh, and so I, I ended up doing that research track for a year in India and then applying to universities in, in the US and eventually coming to UCLA to get my master's and then my PhD. And that sort of, uh, that was the journey. So it was a super linear journey, right? Like no problems, no roadblocks, no anything <laughs> along the way, right? It was like smooth sailing, no problem whatsoever. Uh, I'm guessing that is not the case. No, no problems whatsoever. End of podcast. <laughs> <How about> that? <laughs> uh, Thank you and goodbye. Yeah, uh, I wish life was... Uh, but I think uh, when I look at some of the interesting moments... Uh, the first was when I applied to grad school, I got like six rejects before I got the two accepts out of my eight applications. And and it's hard, like it was hard for us to be able to afford universities in the U.S. with the rupees to dollar conversion. So I had a yeah. half scholarship from Cornell and, a, and no scholarship from UCLA. But Cornell pretty much told me that that's the best they can do. And the half scholarship was not going to cut it. So I ended up taking a chance and coming to UCLA with the hopes that within the one month before classes start, I can try to get a full scholarship. So it's the all or nothing. That's, that's what you, you go for. And, and so it was a really interesting time because all I had was like a couple thousand dollars of borrowed money from my aunt. 
So if I don't get a scholarship, I have enough money to fly back. <laughs> that is insane. Like, did you have that self-confidence that you were going to be able to figure out a way, one way, shape or form of being able to like make it somehow where you were going to be able to stay at UCLA and, um, you know, figure out a way that you could get a full ride scholarship? <laughs> yeah. So like, to be quite honest, uh, until that point, and this was what, age 22, I had never taken a plane before. So the, wow. the advantage, the, the thing in my mind that was uh, very exciting about the opportunity to be in the U.S. was also compounded by the fact that I actually get to take a long flight. Like, and flying was like this dream. You get a chance to come to the U.S. and like experience life, even if it's for one month, it's worth doing. Well, so for people who don't know, you did end up getting your Ph.D. from UCLA. So somehow you were able to get a scholarship. How did you work it uh, that you were able to you know, go in there with zero scholarship and walk away with a scholarship. Uh, yeah, so when I went in, I, I went a month early before the semester, the quarter started, and I was just starting to quote professors. And one of the things I realized in my research and talking to people and all that is there was the graduate administrator who actually was highly influential. So I stopped quoting professors and instead focused my time on the graduate administrator who basically were, others were ignoring. And she was a phenomenal person. Like I really kind of got to know her and I offered to help her like sort through uh, the admissions applications coming from India because I had knowledge of the universities. And so she basically saw that I was there to help her and she found a way to fund me through uh, giving me a teaching assistantship for all the fourth year classes. Like it was the, the best thing that had happened to me because that let me stay at UCLA. I'm, I'm super grateful for them. That is amazing. So you get your PhD. What happens then? Yeah, so I got my PhD. During my PhD, I was doing research. I always wanted to be a professor mm -hmm. because I loved working on hard problems and like doing whatever I wanted to do and just focus time on it. But in parallel, I had my lab mate, uh, Ricardo, who is now the co-founder of Thousand Eyes. And he always wanted to do a company. So he kept telling me over the last like three, four years as we worked together on all the research at UCLA that he wanted to build a company. And I kept telling him I want to be a professor, um, but you know, life's full of surprises. Uh, for a year and two, a year and a half, two years, I tried really hard to get interviews into some of the top schools to like become a professor at Berkeley's or Princeton's, and I actually didn't get any calls. So that plan A did not quite work. And then in the end, uh, my visa was expiring, so I ended up joining a startup uh, called Packet Design that was recruiting me for some period of time. Uh, this was mid-2008, and so that was plan B. I, I took that on, and uh, that actually didn't last very long because late 2008, uh, there was the economy that started to crash, and so I, I got laid off there uh, in two months in my first real job coming out of uh, grad school, and then again, you're going through like visa questions and all that, but that was a defining moment where I, I kind of figured out my plan A has not worked, my plan B is not worked, so like, what the heck? Let's call Ricardo and tell him, like, hey, you know, I, I, I let's just do this company because uh, nothing else is working. <laughs> There's nothing else to lose. That just speaks to you as a person, though. I'm guessing is because, like, for some people, they would they would take not being able to get becoming a professor, you know, getting laid off two months into the startup world. We're in the middle of this, you know, the economy is crashing. A lot of people would like pack their bags back up and head back to India, your home, your home country. But that's not you. What made you stick it out? 
Look, I, I enjoyed my research. I enjoyed the problem we were solving. And what we came together with Ricardo was like, we, we did our research on understanding how the internet works and making it easy for people to actually understand cause and effect. And it was a big black box for people. So when Ricardo and I talked about the notion of actually building a company around building uh, this visibility and showing people what, basically building the Google Maps of the internet, right? That was really exciting. Like we, we thought nobody else had done it. And, and one of the things we loved about our research was we could, we could do things that nobody had dared to attempt. And that was, that's the idea of a PhD. You come up with original things, you build your theses, you write papers that nobody reads. Like all of that stuff is, is fun. And so uh, for us, it was that moment where, uh, you know, the safe routes were not working. And so it just encouraged me to take some risks. And But it was a risk on an area I was deeply passionate about. Yeah, I mean, it helps. You're not only passionate about it, but you're really smart and you're good at this. You know this inside and out. This is what your research is all about. So that obviously is a calculated risk, I guess you could say, right? Yes. Yeah, it's a calculated risk. And the, f the funny thing about the internet is like, you never fully know it. And that's the first thing we realized when we started doing our research, you, you learn to do things, you learn to build techniques that can help you decode it and all that. But even today, we wake up in the morning and we see something that we have not seen as an event in the internet. It's just so complex. Like It's like the human brain, right? Nobody can ever figure it out. <laughs> and that's the analogy I use sometimes for people. And, and that's what keeps it exciting because we haven't figured it out. Yeah. It, you know what? Life is not interesting if you're, you're, if you're not always trying to figure out the next thing, what's in those nooks and crannies of the internet or, or of the brain, as you mentioned before. Um, so you were talking about like visibility into the internet, seeing what's going on into the internet. So you have this idea. So tell me about how you had this idea for, um, you know, being able to see what's going on within yep. the internet, beyond the internet, within cloud, within SaaS, there's a whole bunch of uh, steps in between. Yeah. I'm, I'm going way ahead of myself here, Mohit. <laughs> no, perfect. I think this is a good segue. So uh, there are two things, right? One, uh, the the technology of how the internet works is deeply fascinating as a, as a geek. Like it's just the ability to move data from one part to another part of the world covering like thousands of kilometers, is uh, hundreds of, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, the, the, it's just fascinating. So I think that's really like one piece. And so we were always excited by that. But I think what was really interesting is we started to appreciate very early in our research the impact the internet would have on how people live their lives. And and this was before Netflix, before these Google Nest thermostats, like none of that was there, right? This is early right. 2000s. But we knew that this could change lives. And so we, we knew that if we really figured this out, the impact could be huge. So when we started Thousand Eyes, uh, we felt like there would be more and more reliance on the internet, not just for selling shoes, but also for companies because we saw that cloud computing was starting to happen. Amazon was just starting their, their cloud services. Uh, SaaS companies like Salesforce were popping up so you didn't have to install servers in your data centers anymore. But what that means is now you have an application which is outside your four walls. You have you rely on the internet to to reach that application. And this is the same internet that you're kids might be using to watch cat videos, right? So it's not <laughs> that production network that you can call your network guy. And so what, what was interesting to us is it was a challenging problem. It's not got finite boundaries. It's an undefined challenging problem. And so it appealed to our research side. 
but we also knew the impact would be huge. And when we started with this concept of let's try to build this Google Maps of the internet that any company can see, so they can feel like the internet is their private network. And we, we pitched this to a few investors, uh, didn't really get any traction. And we were both as founders, like, you know, without money. <laughs> so we ended up, uh, which most founders are. So we ended up actually finding an interesting way to fund the company through uh, a program from the National Science Foundation, which is US government money. And wow. we had some exposure to NSF because they funded some of my research as well. But we didn't know that they had a commercial, they fund like commercial startups that are doing high risk research and commercializing it. So we found that avenue to fund the early part of Thousand Eyes. It was a grant of $150,000 that basically let us quit our jobs and just, you know, like focus full time on this with like a $2,000 stipend for ourselves as founders. Wow. Uh, and, and and that was the launching pad for Thousand Eyes where we could hire our first uh, full-time intern. Uh, <laughs> and then we actually built our data center, first data center in the garage because we wanted to be a SaaS offering. We wanted to visualize the internet, but we didn't want people to install servers and all. So like, hey, you just go to thousandeyes.com and you can visualize the internet. So we built our first data center in the garage. And the good news uh, for us was that because of the economy collapse, like we were finding these servers that are being trashed in recycle bins everywhere in the Bay Area. So we were walking, driving around. I was driving in my car, putting servers in the in the <laughs> trunk and like, you know, uh, you were some of them diving. would work. Wait, some of them. so you were dumpster was, diving yeah. for servers? Yes, it was fun. And it was actually, there's something fun about going and picking bare metal servers and like plugging them on and figuring out if they work. Like, you know, and we, the, the architecture we built were, was around, we had a lot of servers and some of them actually had stickers which said trash on them because you, you need to put those stickers to put them in the recycle bins. Wow. That was our first data center and it actually worked quite well, which was unbelievable. That is unbelievable. So it, apparently uh, engineering is in the genes no matter what. With both of your parents' backgrounds, you may have the computer science background, but engineering, it sounds like you're somewhat of a tinkerer no matter what as well, right? Yeah, I think both the founders, Ricardo, my co-founder also, we both love to like play with things and tinker and so on. But, but at the end of the day, it's like we tend to focus on things that still have an impact. Uh, versus like just playing yeah. for the sake of playing. And at that point, like getting those servers for free was a huge deal. With 150K, I mean, that sounds like a lot of money, but it's when you're trying to build a company from the ground up, it's not a whole lot. Okay, and speaking of the company itself, I want to hear how you came up with the name Thousand Eyes. Uh, yeah, this is an interesting story. So Ricardo and I both had uh, built some products out of our research and his product was called Cyclops uh, with the idea of essentially providing some level of internet security visibility. Cyclops is, is a Greek mythical uh, creature with, with one eye, right? And so when, when we were talking about this company of building, uh, talking about this concept of building a company around internet visibility, I was joking with Ricardo that whatever we build has to be a thousand times better than his crappy Cyclops and uh, in, in, in being you know, in jest. You and we realized like that, we could right? actually, I had lovingly said that is my official story. Uh, and we, we, we just thought like, why not call it Thousand Eyes? Uh, and that also, I like that name also because it provides the notion of breadth with a thousand. And we have like, we want to collect data from different parts of the internet and uh, it turned out to be a really cool name. Once companies are starting to get interested 
in acquiring you, it must be kind of a, you're getting courted, but really trying to find that right fit must be super important. Like how many no's do you have to give to other companies before you find that right fit within <laughs> Cisco? Yeah. So when we were like in the, through the journey of Thousand Eyes, it wasn't about selling Thousand Eyes. It was about just continuing to build it. And uh, I had a few acquisition interests coming in and I would just basically say, no, not interested. Uh, and, and for any founders or CEOs out there, um, it's really important to share with the board that you are getting an acquisition interest. One of the things I learned was it's my duty as the CEO of the company uh, that I should always have those discussions and I can still walk away from them. So I think that was a big coaching moment for me personally, which was, uh, hey, you may still want to not do it, but like, you know, you, it's your job as a CEO to actually have those discussions. And so that kind of opened me up. So the next time uh, a couple of these came on board and I said, okay, well, you know, I want to continue to build, but let's have these discussions. And the, the great thing about getting to know Cisco is it was clear to me that there was a great cultural match. There was a genuine appreciation for, for uh, what we did as technology. But if you think about what Thousand Eyes does, this Thousand Eyes provides the Google Maps view of the internet. And Cisco is really, really strong inside the enterprise. So as we think about the, the modern world, it's a combination of the two. It's not going to be just one. And bringing those two worlds together, uh, in my mind, would be game-changing and would really accelerate Thousand Eyes and our mission, which was to bring Thousand Eyes to every corner of the world. So it just made a ton of sense, and we found the people were really great. They genuinely appreciated Thousand Eyes, and we genuinely respected Cisco. And I also found that Cisco had uh, a very strong uh, application experience business with AppDynamics. And the, the classic competitors with Cisco did not have any kind of application experience. So for us, that was the only real uh, acquisition home. That is, that's so enlightening, I think, for anyone in this startup world on like getting you so much insight. So thank you so much for being able to give that and giving this honest look at like what you learned, the, the mistakes that you may have made along the way and um, learning forward for that because I think that is huge. So uh, let's go back to acquisition day. So you have not been part of the Cisco family for all that long. How has it been um, since you've come on board? Well, it was, uh, so I do miss the in-person interactions because our whole acquisition pretty much was all over WebEx. Right? Yeah. So it, it's, it was a very, it was all remote. Like we were not in the same rooms. We could not even high-fi each other when we actually agreed to uh, do because, you know, you had to sanitize your hands if you high-fied like right away right. In, within seconds. So, so it was a, it's a, it's a very different experience. And the hard part for me was, we wanted to share this exciting news with the team and we had to do a webinar because we had 400 employees and we couldn't like actually do a meaningful webcam, like one-on-one -on -one sessions. I could not even see my employees' faces when we announced this. It was oh. just a one-way webinar and I really felt bad about that because that's the kind of news that I want to stand in front of the employees and deliver. But that aside, like what's been great is the, the entire team at Thousand Eyes has just been phenomenal in coming together and powering through a very difficult work environment and just going through uh, an integration process, becoming a part of Cisco family and collaborating really well with the rest of Cisco. It'll be so great. Ah, oh, that in-person, we're getting close. Mohit, we're getting close. <laughs> Soon. Fingers Soon crossed, yeah. 
Okay, so you feel like you've been part of Cisco for three or four years. You just completed your first Cisco Live where there was a ton of news that came out within Thousand Eyes. Let's talk about some of those. Yeah, so uh, the Cisco Live announcements were exciting. There was a lot of work that happened towards that on uh, across all of Cisco Thousand Eyes combined. Uh, there are probably two big announcements that, that are worth highlighting, right? The first uh, we look at was we wanted to make sure, as I mentioned earlier, that we want to combine the best of Thousand Eyes, which is the, the internet intelligence with the enterprise intelligence that Cisco has. So we now have Thousand Eyes technology running natively on Cisco Catalyst switching devices, and we're going to extend to other platforms. That means if you upgrade to the latest Catalyst uh, software, you now have Thousand Eyes on there and you can turn it on and it can give you all this intelligence from the branch edge all the way to the cloud and SaaS. So if you can, you can now understand the health of every SaaS application, of cloud applications, all of that, even though you, you don't actually own them, which is cool. That's one piece. Uh, and that's a massive effort from uh, all the teams involved to get that uh, going. So I'm super proud, I'm super excited about that. I've seen some of your show and tells with that and being able to see the red line, the yellow line, the green line yep. of where specifically those, you know, pain points might be where things are getting uh, log jammed. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Because even someone that's not super techie, that is huge. Yeah, that's so just imagine our real work, like something that happens to all of us, right? We're trying to, uh, we're trying to file a PTO and the application, it just, it's just on this spinning page site, which is nothing's happening. And it's really frustrating. And when we call IT, they say, well, like, you know, we're on a SaaS application. So we're on Workday or on Salesforce and we can't really see what's going on. Uh, and nobody's happy. And, and now what happens is Thousand Eyes not only gives you what the experience for Workday is, it tells you exactly why. So if you think about just an analogy, it's like going from point A to point B in a car. And everyone's so used to Google Maps now. You just turn on Google Maps, you see, am I going to take 101 or 280 if you're in the Bay Area? Yeah. Uh, and you kind of make that decision and you, you go, right? And you, you're generally pretty good. Uh, but uh, without Google Maps, you're, you're just not sure what roadblock you're going to run into and you may be late for your meeting and, and so on. And one of the things I've, I've heard from customers who've used Thousand Eyes is, is this notion that we are like that Google Maps for them when they can see from their end users, which ISPs they rely on, what is that journey, where the problem is, is it a home Wi-Fi connection, is it a VPN? And it's almost like once they see that, they can't imagine what their life was before. Oftentimes people who have not seen Thousand Eyes don't know what they're missing out. But when they actually see and start using Thousand Eyes, they, they don't want that to be taken away because it's like it's redefined how they actually operate, uh, completely changes the, their operational model. Well, as opposed to like hitting your head against your laptop where you're just watching that spinning wheel of death that we're all so familiar with and being so frustrated with it, as opposed to being able to see, oh, where is it? All right, I'm just gonna turn off my VPN. Yep. Oh, look, like magic, it's like magic. It, it is, and it's very valuable. And, and for the listeners out there, if you go to thousandeyes.com slash outages, you will actually see a live health map of the internet and which service providers may be having an outage right now. So like this is our entire intelligence from billions of measurements that is produced into a simple map. And this this is not even a, a like a paid product. It's just for the community 
to see what is going on. Oh, that's so perfect. And and now with it being integrated into the Cat 9K, like yeah. these big, huge companies that have Cisco Cat 9Ks, this makes life so much easier for them and to be able to get their businesses done, right? Yeah, the concept that we, we are socializing is this notion of the borderless enterprise. Uh, enterprises or companies don't have borders anymore. Like it's just, they, they don't have these network boundaries. And so thousand eyes plus the catalyst and, and routing and all that is going to be a really interesting combination. The other piece of news, which is huge as well, is we've done a really strong integration with, with AppDynamics. Uh, AppDynamics, for folks who are not familiar, provides deep application insights into the application stack. So if you think about, if you're building an application, Everything that is in the backend of the application, uh, whether it's your database query or your uh, your web tier, like all of those things are decoded by AppDynamics. So you know when a user is having an issue, where the issue might be, and they do a really good job of tying it to also business impact, which is critical. Uh, and what we do is we cover all the intelligence of everything outside that application stack. So that journey from the data center where the application sits, all the way to the end user going over the internet, that's what we decode and demystify. And so you put those, these two things together, which is what we have done with our integration. We, we bring these data sets together uh, so users can sort of combine these two insights. That is, uh, again, unique, highly differentiated, nothing in the marketplace exists like that. And why I'm excited about that is that really breaks silos. In a typical organization, when yeah. there's an issue, you're blaming the network person who's now blaming the server person who's now blaming the the application person and there's like this sort of fight going on. It's not me, it's not me, it's not me. And uh, what AppDynamics and Thousand Eyes can do together is uh, really break these silos and create uh, a, a more uh, harmony-filled, hugging relationship between <laughs> the network teams and the app teams. And so our customers, you know, it, right now it's all virtual hugging. But uh, we'll have it's, a kumbaya. It's, it's much we'll be better. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I like that. And I mean, for visibility is one thing with Thousand Eyes, but like this adds to this whole idea of this full stack observability. So for people who aren't totally like immersed in this, explain what that means of having this full stack observability. Yeah. Yeah, so let me kind of break it down into two concepts, right? Observability as a whole is a relatively new term. And a lot of that has been defined because there are a lot of very ordinary monitoring products, which just basically give you a signal that there's something wrong, but you then have to go and dig what's going on. And the Thousand Eyes product was always focused on insights right from the very beginning. So produce those visualizations, those aha moments right away. So root cause analysis was top of mind. And that's missing in like the classic monitoring framework. So observability is built on this notion of visibility plus insights in addition to visibility that uh, you can take actions on and so on. And both AppDynamics and Thousand Eyes uh, have a really strong framework of that. So we, we really kind of fit that bucket well. And then the notion of full stack is, uh, is going all the way from application to network to infrastructure. And as I mentioned with the Thousand Eyes network lens that we have on the internet and, and our tie with the application plus AppDynamics, it really kind of crosses these traditional silos and boundaries and provide something that, that goes across this stack, not just vertically, which is application network to infrastructure, but also horizontally, which is data center, internet, 
uh, endpoints, right? You think about the horizontals, the cross stack. That's also something we we do, and it is truly, it is truly a unique offering which is unparalleled in the marketplace. And if if somebody wants to dispute that, I challenge you to a demo showdown. <laughs> demo showdown. Let's do it. <laughs> demo. <laughs> And maybe even in person, once all these vaccines start getting into people's arms. Yeah, wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> a game show of like product demos and. Oh my gosh, it'll be all right. You you were saying yeah, it'll be the next big thing on Netflix. I'm totally down for it. <laughs> Sounds exciting. <laughs> all right, so you are a big idea guy. I can already tell. Like your mind is always running for the next thing. So you got to be already thinking of some of these next big excitement things that you want to do. Uh, I should just let you like kind of bask in these big things that already just happened within integrating Thousand Eyes into uh, AppD and the Cat9K, but I'm guessing you're not one to rest on your rest on your laurels, are you, Mohit? Sometimes we have to remind ourselves to do a good job of celebrating like key milestones because we immediately kind of jump on to what's next, right? That's the okay. natural tendency for entrepreneurs in general. Uh, look, I'm super proud of what the teams have accomplished. I, I'm also just grateful to customers in particular, to our employees who have made Thousand Eyes happen, to Cisco for making us part of their family. Uh, and, and there's two things I, I, I want to say, right, where my, my mind is focused right now is one, I, I still don't know a lot of Cisco. And so one, uh, one important job for me personally is to just continue to learn more about Cisco because then it opens up ideas on where do we fit in. So I'm still kind of figuring out like, hey, there's this cool technology inside Cisco. We could, this is how we could work together. Or this really cool team within Cisco. So we're, we're still doing that and just kind of internalizing what does the landscape look like and how we can collaborate. And, and then there's the sequence of ideas around how we can transform. And I love the energy that Cisco leadership is putting behind uh, going as a service, the uh, the observability, the pillars that are built around that. And so I'm excited about that because it's a top-down transformation. And I am super confident that Cisco as a business is going to transform and really change the marketplace. Okay, so you said like once things open up, what is the first thing that you're going to do once, you know, some of these um, restrictions start easing up for us and we're able to go out and party and celebrate. What's the first thing you're doing? Well, first thing I want to meet my team, like no question in my mind. And yeah. I'm going to hop to every major office we have and like actually go spend some time with each each site. I, I used to love doing that on the road. Like on an average, I would put about a couple hundred thousand miles a year of flying to both to our sites as well as we have offices in London. Uh, in in Austin and San Francisco, all these locations, right? So that's that's one. Uh, and the other is just meet customers as well. That's another thing I've really missed is actually meeting customers and and spending time with them and getting to know them. And that that empathy you get when you actually understand their world is really important because it it gives us perspective. And I personally would love to get back to playing some sports because that's something. I'm missing, um, and we're extra careful right now. So yeah, those are probably the first things. Yeah, you're a badminton guy, right? Yeah, I I, I played a lot of badminton, uh, and I'm generally like to dabble different sports. Uh, sports where I don't have to have physical contact with the other opposition is usually my sport. So uh, I, I remember the first time I came to the U.S. because in India you call soccer football, and I came to UCLA, right. and, and I was like 115 pounds. Uh, and somebody asked me, like, what sport you play? And I say football. And they just had the shock of their life uh, on their face. 
maybe as a maybe as a kicker. <laughs> yeah, maybe as a kicker, and, and maybe if you're the kicker, maybe if you're a kicker. So, uh, what's the first sports game that you're gonna go to to see in person? If you're a sports fan, what are you doing? Are you and are you going with Linda Tong, who is another huge sports fanatic, as I'm sure you're learning? Yeah, I would love to like watch a game with Linda because she, I, I know she's a lot of fun and she just has this energy. Like, I, I would love to see her in a stadium. And uh, potentially even trash talking an opposition uh, team, so that would be good. Uh, but I, I think I don't think there would be a potential. I think that's a. <laughs> I think that is a hundred percent happening. Yeah, I, I, I want to sit next to her in a sports game and and see her engage uh, the uh, the rival. So that would be cool. Uh, but I think uh, I, look, my rule of thumb is I generally don't watch sports I can't play because I get frustrated. Like okay. if I see something, I want to do it. Like, so I don't, I don't watch football that much because I feel like, ah, gosh, I don't think I can play that, right? So, um, but, but I, I, I definitely want to watch cricket. I love watching cricket games. I love, you know, even watching badminton. So maybe a cricket game because the energy in a stadium when you have like 80,000 to 100,000 people in the stadium, like that energy. Right. I, I watched the Cricket World Cup in England a couple of years ago, year and a half ago. Oh, wow. And that was a fantastic experience. Like we just uh, had a blast. I know it'll be coming back. Okay, that that gave me so much insight into who you are, Mohit. Someone that won't go is not a huge fan of sports that you don't actually play. That says so much about you. You are you are very competitive. I can tell. I, I am very competitive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, this has been a phenomenal conversation. I really, really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. I'm so glad that Thousand Eyes is now part of the Cisco family. Um, not only because that means that you are now part of the Cisco family, but so much more so for what Thousand Eyes is going to be able to do for that many more customers. So thank you. Thank you. I've enjoyed it as well and hope uh, folks listening have uh, found something you can take away from it. I am sure they will. And next time we'll do this in person because we'll get energy from each other. Sounds awesome. Okay, thank you.